I generally think that the everyday something different is what keeps me smiling, exciting, uh, honest, on my toes. I never take it for granted. I always believe that I'm only as good as the last dish you cook, right? So it keeps me on check because I really got to, it doesn't matter if it's a demo for 30 people, uh, I'm still cooking for them. It's, it better be bloody good, right? This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Everyone has a different food story. Some grow up with little or no real connection through food, but discover its allure in later years. Others grow up tugging on the apron of their grandmother, getting dusted in flour and begging to get their hands dirty in the kitchen. Chef Luca Chano was born into a family with an unending passion for food, and it's translated into an incredible career down under. Luca, how are you? Good, everybody. I'm doing fantastic. What about you guys? Uh, it's good to have you on the show, mate. Um, it's been a while since I've seen you and you've done so much. Um, what, what's what's the last year been like for you? It seems like you're sort of everywhere. Uh, yeah, uh, which technically I think it's a, it's a good thing, right? I've uh, been extremely busy, but I'm losing, um, yeah, losing my head, to be honest with you. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm actually, I haven't finished counting, but we're shy of 50 flights this year uh, between Australia and overseas. So I'm definitely going mental, spending, uh, claiming to be a chef, and all I'm doing, I'm wasting days at the airport on missing flight, uh, cancelled flight, and bloody, you know, delayed flights and all that. But no, listen, li- life, is, um, life is good. It's uh, just extremely busy, just the way I like it. So at least I got something very good to whinge about because I got to find something to whinge about, right? So at least uh, uh, it keeps me, you know, it keeps me grounded, uh, keeps it real. Um, I still able to really, uh, you know, pinch myself every day and consider myself extremely lucky to have been given this amazing opportunity in this amazing country that I've been calling home for the last, what, 20 plus years. And um, I still really, really enjoy what I do, you know, and I think the mix of what I do between, uh, uh, you know, either filming rather than uh, talking, trying to sell, introduce my product range to a new retailer or working as a chef ambassador for one of my, uh, you know, uh, sponsors or whatnot i don't know i think that's probably the key um that keeps me happy as in every day is different right i I just couldn't be able to function anymore just every day in a kitchen like i used to just i will see that without you know any offense to any good colleague of mine i will feel that feel like you know restricted it would be almost boring i mean let me do that for a week or two and then i'll be going like yeah no i gotta do more than this i gotta i gotta go out and about i gotta do stuff i gotta talk to people i gotta you know uh, and that's what you know uh, I'm really, really enjoying. Well, 50 flights in a year is, you know, not uncommon previously to previous to COVID, but over the last couple of years, no one has been flying. What, what's it been like um, going on those adventures? And, um, you know, what have you experienced in, in the year on all of your travels? Uh, look, there's two sides to, to this, this answer, I guess. Uh, I've always traveled a lot, as you know. Uh, prior prior to COVID, I was still really on fire with you know with my travels and my work and whatnot. COVID brought it all to a standstill. Um, I was struggling because uh, psychologically, I generally realized that, oh my God, you take away my work and I'm done. Uh, I realized I was very uh, addicted to my job uh, in the best possible way, obviously. Um, and But, you know, the pandemic has gone for so long that I've been able to sort of reset and go to, you know, a happy place, like with my family, enjoying time off and having weekends off all of a sudden, which I'm like, oh, gee, this is not too bad after all. So when I when I when I actually restarted, um, you know, I didn't tell this to anybody actually. I I struggled. I struggled a lot. Um, I just miss. I mean, I always miss my family when I travel. But when I restarted, I'm like, how long do you want to keep doing this for? Because I've been doing this for. Jesus, over a decade now that I do, uh, you know, um, I'm the kind of chef slash whatever you want to call me doing this type of lifestyle, which is extremely exciting if you don't do it. And obviously, you know, I only post on social media what I, what I know friends and family uh, want to see, which is me having a good time. But, you know, th- there's so much time wasted in airports uh, on your own and uh, flight cancelled, delayed. I mean, the traveling these days, let's be honest, I don't know how, ma- how many flights will be on this year, but it's just ridiculous. You know, you board the plane whenever they're ready if they're ready and if they're not they just um, yeah sorry mate come back tomorrow flight is not going ahead it's been it's been very frustrating uh, to coordinate all the you know all the job related um 
uh, gigs uh, around the, the travel issues. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, like, I, like I was saying earlier, it, it is still very exciting. You know, I mean, you get paid to travel and go to, to do amazing gigs in front of amazing either customers or a bunch of people, either being the filming or presenting a new product or whatever that is. So like I said, I still, it's been hard to get back into the rhythm of it. Uh, but now that I'm back, it just feels normal. Uh, but like I was telling you earlier before the interview on a one-on-one, like I am tired. I am generally physically tired. I am mentally tired. And I was talking to my manager not literally a couple of weeks ago about this um, because it's not like me to start claiming that I'm tired. Uh, but I say, mate, next year, I, I just want to really start saying no to things um, and working a calendar around me, myself, and I and my family instead of always giving priority to work, right? Because, you know, we're chefs. Even though I have got out of the kitchen a while ago, the mentality is the same. Is The answer is always, yes, chef, yes, chef. It's, uh, you know, and it's my business, right? So every time I say no, it's not money not, not going to my pocket. So, but obviously, you know, we're in a good space in these days. And I think we've uh, we worked really, really hard over the last while. 30 plus years to be where we at um that yeah i think i deserve to start saying no to people and just enjoying uh a bit more of my time and i don't even know what that means my time right i don't know if i want to go to the beach and lay flat or i want to go on a holiday i don't know but i just I, I think i deserve to have a bit more time for myself and especially for my family uh, especially for my beautiful you know nine years old daughter so that's it let's see what happened next year well, that um, refocus and realignment to put more energy into your family, that, that, that has been part of your history. And take us back to when you were young and the role that food played when you were a kid. Well, family to me literally is everything, right? I've, I've had this very unique uh, lifestyle. I left Italy when I was um, uh, 17, um, about to get uh, to turn 18, moved to the UK for uh, three months, uh, believing that I was going to go and have an experience and uh, learn English. Uh, of course, I ended up, I ended up uh, renting a, a flat with uh, two Italian guys, so English was terribly uh, bad after that, that three months. <laughs> Went back home and then decided again to, you know, take off again and uh, and travel across the globe but but leading up to that um yeah mom uh, mom is just an exceptional exceptional cook uh, and so was her mom and I, um, I, I do have my last, latest cookbook that talks literally about all my journey. I've been titled it, um, the title is Lucas Culinary Journey. And basically the journey is generally about even me trying to reminisce and, and trying to remember. Um, you know, I, sometimes I even ask, I mean, I, I put that down in words in the cookbook and I've had interviews about it, but I'm really trying to really work out what has led me to this uh, very unique lifestyle and especially becoming a chef. So I think I definitely have the cliche of the, good Italian mom that cooks amazing food, happy days, right? But, you know, that cliche is quickly broken down because I've got a ton of friends of mine and they know who they are, which their moms, uh, they're freaking terrible um, in the kitchen. Like, I remember as a kid going to their place for dinner and I'm like, holy shit, this is terrible. Um, oh, excuse my language. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to swear or not. You can, you um, can swear. That's fine. All right. All right. Um, yeah, I was like, this is crap. Like, honestly. So you quickly realize even as a young kid, I'm like, oh, Jesus, mom's actually knows what's up in the kitchen. You know, she's doing it right. And then, you know, mom introduced me as well to seasonality. You know, I I do talk about moments where I'm like, mom, I want strawberry. And mom will say, well, mate, you got to wait. They're not in season yet. Um, I remember in spring, you know, mom coming home with a, uh, you know, with a ton of asparagus. And it was bloody asparagus for like two weeks on. And then autumn came and chestnuts were up and I got vivid memory and, and now I'm replicating all of that within my own household not even as a chef in a young age because I guess uh, when we get catapulted from uh, you know being young and uh, go to school uh, culinary school which I've done in Italy and then going into cooking uh, at a young kid all you're doing is really obviously being told do this do that peel this chop that and then you're getting into service you're under pressure and all you're, they really teach you is kind of keep up with, with all the shit that goes around in the kitchen but you know back then Nobody, you know, if something changed seasonally, it's because the head chef was changing the menu and all of a sudden asparagus were in, were in spring. But nobody's really was dedicated that amount of time. And, and look, if you look at my background, I've done from Michelin star restaurant in Italy to a five-star hotel internationally and whatnot. I've never really seen that focus that I have in these days about either the quality of the produce or the seasonality or the story behind it and what's so special about it and da-da-da-da. Um, only thanks because I actually removed myself from the kitchen a long while ago. And all I do in these days, is obviously collaborating with producers, with growers. Uh, I mean, I have my own range and, and that's how we go about outsourcing the best uh, produce possible. Um, 
but so the family has been an amazing, amazing kickstart into um, you know me uh, becoming a chef. And and I kid you not, I still kind of believe uh, that this is the real story in my little brain. I remember cooking something, and would have been as stupid as. Uh, uh, you know, a 10 or 12 years old kid cooking his first time a pasta with uh, with fresh tomato, basil and parmesan, which still is my all time favorite pasta dish. Right. Um, and I remember my mom saying, gee, that that's very nice. And I don't know if she was either, you know, uh, lying to, to put a smile on my face or not. And then she said to me, look, if you like these, um, there's actually a school. And they teach you how to cook. And again, I think I must have been 10, 12. And in my head, I'm like, at school, like, instead of studying, you're actually cooking. I said, that sounds bloody wonderful, as long as I don't have to study, right? And that was my little stupid process in my head. And then as, as soon as I got towards the age of 14, and that's where you finish your, um, let's say, college, and uh, you move into culinary school. Um, yeah, I mean, I've obviously learned more about the culinary school, and then I got pretty much backfire because you basically, uh, you know, culinary school in Italy is exactly like any other school in Italy, as in you study everything from math to geography, whatever. And on top of it, um, you got to cook like they teach you, obviously, like like a tape over here. So, yeah, it was terrible because from I thought I score like great because uh, I never really liked study. Like I, I was OK as a student. Um, I was always bored very easily. I just I, I like practical thing. I'm still today. Right. Put me in the kitchen 16 hours. It's a way better than spending eight hours right writing recipe on a laptop, like, like, you know what I mean? Like, I just hate st- standing still. And I remember going to school, I've actually had second thoughts because I thought I was going to quit because the the school, it was still, I think, in these days in Italy, is the only school that even at that young age, you're doing, I think it's 40 hours a week, uh, whether the other schools are like not even 30. Because basically, when the normal uh, school time is, out, is over, Basically, it's almost like you're staying back to do your your culinary, whatever, either in the classroom or or in the kitchen. And, you know, I was at that young age. I was, I remember, into my uh, good old heavy metal bands, wanting to go to concert and skateboarding. I was the odd bunch, right, because I had long hairs. And my teacher told me, you're you're never going to become shit because I I just did not fit the bill, right? Especially in those days. I don't want to sound too old. I'm 44, by the way, for for anyone out there that doesn't know me. But, you know, but back in those days, it was really old school, especially my country you know france italy spain like really really old school in the kitchen basically you gotta have freaking short hair you gotta look sharp and shaved and otherwise yeah otherwise you're not going anywhere so i was obviously uh due to my music uh, choices and whatnot you know i had my tight skin uh, my tight jeans and i had my leather jacket I had all, you know, from Metallica to Slayer, you call it, I had it plastered on my on my backpack and whatnot. So obviously, yeah, I kind of just really didn't fit the, the chef thing. But check this out. And this is uh, what sometimes I, I tell myself, or oh, I believe that it's been helping my career. Uh, you know what? I actually believe that I was going to be freaking good at it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there was something in my little brain. I'm like, I'm going to freaking smash this. Like, I'm good. I'm going to be good. I'm going to be one of the best. And and I don't know. I don't. I don't even know because it's 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 funny. Um, because I'm not that kind of person. But I believe from a very young age that um, yeah, gee, I was gonna take it seriously. So school was very very tough because I you know I was finishing school at three four p.m. whatever, coming back home, and you know I'm from Milan, Italy, and I don't need to tell you the the weather in winter. It's like um, you know it's just pretty pretty bloody miserable and talking about my my own hobby which was uh you know i was playing in a band with friends i was playing the bass bass guitar and i was skateboarding you know i was doing all of that stuff and you know by the time i came home it, it was dark like it, it, people were just home and and I, I just felt that feeling of yeah like this is not working out and you know my mom sort of uh, gave me a very big push in uh, sort of you know don't don't give up don't give up don't give up and uh, i come from a, um, a single parent uh, dad unfortunately passed away when i was a young kid i was uh Three years old my brother was four and i and i generally do have the you know the again the stereotype of the the best mom on the planet like we all claim but, but she generally was you know she she busted her chops to make sure that we had uh, everything and above and beyond uh she definitely set the bar for my brother and i in terms of what her working was all about working six days a week uh 12 14 hours days um so we we, we kind of grew up quickly because obviously um we've lost our dad we had a ton of fr- uh, help from friends and family so I don't really feel that my childhood was affected. I mean, of course, I lost my dad, so that's pretty shit. But uh, I, I don't feel... Um I mean, there's people that have worse childhood than mine with both parents, right, for a lot of other reasons, uh, which um, that's for another interview. But um, 
yeah, mum's been such a such a great example of. I mean, Jesus, since the day I've I, I remember uh, interacting with my own mother, uh, all I've seen her was just working and working and provide and working and provide. And still, we had holidays, and still we had presents under the tree, and still we were whinging about one these or one that, and we got it. And, uh, and you know, in the family around it, when I claim about having the most beautiful family overall, like I talk about in the cookbook, my uh, my mum's sister. Uh, so my uncle, my auntie, uh, family, uh, awesome people, and again into food. Um, we shared uh, a house up in the mountains in Val d'Aosta, in north of Italy. So winter and summer was in holiday breaks. Was always going to the mountains. Uh, then my grandparents from mum's side, even though they were as uh, uh, you know low income, uh, whatever you want to call them, extremely um, hardworking people. Period. Uh, they still uh, managed back in the days to have. A a small holiday house on Lake Como, which in these days is famous because of good old George Clooney. But, but you know, for us from Milan, it's about it's about a forty-five minute drive. So normally, back in the days, check this out: going to the lake for, was for poor people, and we were poor uh, because rich people go to the seaside. But you know, from Milan to Lake Como is like forty-five minutes drive. So they had this little cute apartment in the most awesome area, and you know, I mean, I'm telling you, I've lost that. Mom's was working, uh, you know, her her butt out, and still. In summer, we were split between spending time with grandma and, and granddad uh, on Lake Como and me and my brother fishing from the age of four or five on the beach, bringing home alborelle, which is like a, like a little, a little bit bigger than a white bait. And our... Um, our nonna, you know, she would just got the fish and fry it for the, for us. We had a garden next door, which didn't belong to us, but my brother and I, extremely skillful, we used to go and steal zucchini flowers and eggplant and whatnot and bring it back to nonna. And nonna would fry the zucchini flower as a snack. And then there was a big, massive tree of figs hanging all from one property next to ours. And as the figs were mature and too heavy, we were just falling from the tree. So me and my brother would just go and collect as many as we could, bring it to nonna, and nonna's like, the hell am I going to do with these, you know? Um, so she will peel them off, wash them off because literally they were falling to the ground and then we'll have that with a bit of prosciutto, whatever it is, right? So that, that, that was the lake memories that honestly I'm talking about. I talk about in the in the book and I translate the stories into recipe because these are all, um, yeah, there's nothing too chefy about those recipes. It's all about really my childhood and uh, and the lovely memories and then uh, translating that to the mountains. Uh, I'm not sure how many people uh, listening here, they know the mountains beside going skiing. I mean, if you go in summer is the most most amazing place to just go and you know go hunting for foraging for you know wild berries uh, or uh, you know por- the famous porcini mushrooms uh, uh, you know we'll go on trail uh, my uncle uh, used to uh, used to be a big fan of um get up early, uh, let's get ready, let's uh, put a couple of paninis in their backpack and you kids are coming with us. So I remember me and my brother always whinging because mom wasn't there, so we were sort of uh, managed by my uncle and auntie, which are the most amazing human beings uh, as well. But, you know, against their will, we had to go on these freaking long walks and whatnot. But guess what, mate? We were coming home with a ton of porcini mushroom, um, uh, wild strawberries, blueberries. And, uh, I mean, so, you know what I mean? Like, if, if I break it down like that and look back, I'm like, shit, I've had the best freaking childhood ever i mean how many people have that uh but then on the other i'm like shit i've lost my dad like you know it's just me and my brother and, and you can tell we were affected by it especially at a very young age and then you grow up as a teenager but then you don't know any any difference so i think as we grow out of it um it was sadly so normal uh, and it was so normal to have just mom being mom and dad and, and whatnot and and you know and tapping into I'm sorry I'm going on for hours but uh, tapping into you know what the family uh, was about in terms of the contribution to food like it doesn't matter what what we were doing I've been very blessed either being uh, dropped off at my uncle and aunties or or my grandparents uh, life generally revolved around uh, food and 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 family and company and supporting each other and loving each other so it's um it's what I'm trying really, really hard to to achieve here, you know, with my family, trying to really provide the best and and be the best uh, dad, husband, uh, or friends that I can be to anyone, you know. You, you've worked in amazing restaurants in London and in uh, Milan, where you grew up. Um, what's been the real integral sort of um, venues and people that you worked with as you built your career? 
Wow. Um, there's obviously many, many, many places, but to break it down, um, that's the way I always look, um, look into it. Um, looking back, um, in my younger days, I've actually worked in an extremely big establishment in the UK, in London. And uh, the good old figure of the executive chef in any hotel, you know, um, a big, big fella in charge of 70, 80, 100 chefs is something that, oh my God, I was looking it up to this guy like, like there's no tomorrow. He was the man, right? And I was only 18. So uh, I think from a, from a management uh, point of view, from learning about how to uh, manage people, uh, manage your food costs, um, understanding just how business works, probably there's nothing better than those experiences in very big establishment. Um, there, there was time to actually be schooled and trained. There were programs, you know, that, that's the beauty about big hotels. They obviously do invest a fair amount of money uh, from, from HR, trickling down to the staff and taking advantage of a lot of opportunities that, you know, quite often in smaller restaurants, fine dining restaurants, you, you generally just require to work your ass off and deliver, period. Uh, so when I look back, I think most of my let's say, management uh, side, businessman side that I've developed over the years, uh, probably the big hotels has definitely put the biggest imprint into this. Um, and don't get me wrong, we were cooking amazing food and we had amazing produce and whatnot. But but my memory was really about being, uh, you know, still young, but ma- managing my mini team and being really schooled and, uh, and groomed into, into a businessman. Because as I always claim, right, as a chef, like it's just not good enough to be able to cook really well as much as not just good enough to be able to do the numbers because the two have to go hand in hand. Otherwise, you're going to have amazing food at an empty restaurant or the other way around. So it is extremely important but then when it comes to i suppose um, gastronomy itself food itself probably the i mean i've been claiming this so many interviews my experience that i had uh, back in milan um, i actually left london at a i was still very young i was only 24 25 but but i was um uh, yeah i was kind of a a junior sous chef in a massive establishment i was running a restaurant with a team of seven which you know for a 24 years old kid technically is already a, a big deal managing numbers i had me little office and my own email uh, address from the hotel, managing with suppliers. So that, that was kind of cool. But I quickly realized, I'm like, Jesus, I'm 24. Like, I'm kind of acting like I'm, I've done it all, which I'm, I've done fuck all. I'm only 24. There's so much that has to be done, right? So... I had this stupid idea um, to go back home uh, after, uh, you know, I left when I was about 18. I was 24 slash 25, and I decided to go back to Milan uh, just for a bit of a stint because I, you know, I kind of haven't been home for that long. I mean, going back home for holiday, but I haven't really worked home. And uh, through a friend, I found this uh, amazing two Michelin star restaurant, very famous in Milan, where it's really all about the uh, the quality of ingredients. So um, I don't recall extremely high techniques or anything like that i don't think i mean i picked up some of that for sure but the restaurant still today uh it's extremely famous and it's all about the quality of the product uh and the produce that we were given from suppliers and what i mean by that uh, there's a, a very genuine mafia um uh, within uh, uh, high-end restaurants and, and suppliers right so if you obviously are able to build a bond with your supplier and you're a kick-ass establishment you know suppliers will look after you and they will pick up the phone to tell you hey we got these coming in next week you want like you will guess at a green light and pull position about anything amazing happening coming through their hands so i remember it was actually crazy like the structure from the hotel went out the window it was really just a bunch of hard-working chefs uh, jumping in the morning at about what time we got there about 7 30 8 o'clock in the morning uh, kitchen will be immaculate because we will spend the rest of our night after f- service to clean it up so they were the classic you know uh, 16 hour days where you get a couple of hours break in between lunch and dinner which always ended up uh, prepping all the all the sold out items from lunch you have to make them fresh for for dinner because you know you don't really prep for one or two or three days it's a mission star restaurant every freaking day you start from zero and whatever is left over goes for staff meal or you just um yeah it goes in the bin sadly so everything had to be done fresh every day but i remember you know every day uh the owner um rocking up with uh you know if he's made when shooting um pigeon um the the mate will the guy will just rock up with 
10 pigeons, put them on the pass and say, boys, we're going to put them on the menu tonight. And he would just walk away. And you're like, oh, shit. Like, that's the last freaking things I needed. Now we've got to, you know, start plucking those birds and clean them and whatever. And i got already a shit stuff to do. Uh, you know, so much work to do. And uh, But the, the quality of what we're getting, uh, I think I've never seen the level of fresh meat or seafood coming through any any other establishment I've ever worked for in the rest of my life. So I think the Michelin Star restaurant, and specifically that one, because I don't want to generalize uh, the every. I mean, I got friends who worked in different Michelin Star restaurants that had amazing experience or not as good, right? Because as you know, there's a lot of politics and bullshit into that. I wore games as much as we got it over here. It's over there. It's, it's global. It doesn't matter. But luckily for me, I was definitely in the right place um, just to experience what... Um, what the best produce in Milan uh, were like, um, either from being, you know, travel season when, when it was on rather than anything else. Um, so that was a great learning curve into how to appreciate the actual raw ingredient, how to cook it in the most simplistic way um, to really allow the ingredients to speak for itself, how to stick to seasonality. That, that was just amazing. It was actually probably back then I was actually quite uh, frustrated because I was coming from telling people what to do and all of a sudden I was running a section and I was working 16 hour days I mean I was coming home I, was, uh, I got married really early I was young and silly I got married at 24 so I was telling my wife coming home like shit like what have I done you know why the hell did I come back to Italy uh, doing this shit now you know this is something you do when you're even younger than 24 25 because you know it, it wasn't really an abusive kitchen where you are yelled at or anything like that like a lot of those restaurants are I mean everybody was working well as a team but Jesus Christ was was a lot of work, like physically, mentally, uh, a lot of pressure. Uh, yeah, no wonder why chefs were not freaking normal, right? I mean, it's um, it's tough. It's tough. It's not a it's not an easy environment to uh, to thrive in. How did you end up in Australia? Australia, um, so London. Uh, several years, uh, heaps of Hazi in the kitchen um, talking to me about, oh, you should go and check out Australia. And back in those days, um, I told you earlier, I was skateboarding as a kid and, uh, you know, being from Milan, going to the mountains, was snowboarding in winter. The only things missing was surfing. Um, so I met those dudes, uh, Aussie dudes, uh, telling me all about surfing and that I die, and I'm sort of dreaming about it. And just before I came from uh, to Australia, I had a stint of shy of a year in a beautiful relationship in Bermuda. Uh, but Bermuda didn't really work out because uh, it was an amazing, um, it's, uh, if people don't know where Bermuda is, uh, well, you know where the triangle of Bermuda is, right? So get the map and go and check out. It's just north of the Caribbean, but it's not classified as the Caribbean. But, but the lifestyle, the cooking and whatnot, it's very, very similar. So I got there in a relationship uh, hoping to be the next best thing. And realistically, it kind of turned out that it sucked because the, you know, the, the seafood fished on the island by far is not uh, enough to supply the restaurant. So, so that meant that most of of seafood was actually flown in from from the US, mainly from New York, Boston, or whatnot, coming in frozen and whatnot. And I'm like, this is wrong. Like I'm working in Bermuda, we got you know yellowfin tuna on and off, uh, you know, uh, brought to the restaurant fresh from the water, and everything else is bloody frozen from the U the US. So I would have said that that was a failed experience. Try over here. I mean, amazing island. I'm not gonna tell you that was like the closest things I've seen to paradise. But I, I was 21, so I didn't. Care about the paradise or uh, you know I just want to work and, and learn and, and obviously that wasn't wasn't there for me so I came back to London because my old executive chef almost like a father figure always told me mate anytime you want to come back you got a job here and when I did reach out I just got a job like kind of overnight went back but that didn't last because I met those uh, Aussie dudes and uh, we were uh, in 1999 so we're leading to uh, the Olympics, Sydney, uh, tw uh, 2000. So that was just an amazing opportunity. Everything came together. I kind of came back from Bermuda, uh, not satisfied from the actual experience under the sun. Uh, Australia, that's all I knew. It was just a beautiful place. I was as ignorant as any Italian can be about Australia, which is, uh, I think Sydney was the um, capital of Australia, obviously. And I thought, besides, I guess, besides sharks and a few other um, dangerous animals, I generally knew bugger all right um so olympics were up all my um aussie friend in london told me mate you're gonna love it you're gonna love it you can you know you can surf and da 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 and that's it mate i've applied um in three different uh hotel and i still remember was the sherton on the park the hilton 
and uh, the four season and i eventually after a few interviews i got i got pretty quickly a job at the Sheraton on the park and uh, that's it jumped on a plane uh, as you do came down here they gave me a week off and that's it got stuck into it and that's that's what generally brought me to australia but it lasted i had a two-year uh, contract but i i actually ran away after one year because uh, it was a uh, gastronomically speaking, uh, was terrible. Uh, I mean, the food, as you will know, 22 years ago is not what it, what it is today in Australia, right? And as a 23 years old kid, I was uh, almost like five years ahead uh, of the bunch. Any European chef was uh, a way ahead. Because we had kids in Australia still today, they finished tape when they're 21, 22, 23. And, you know, I've started my first working experience when I was 14. So you kind of, you know, you can see the gap. And and that was, wasn't nobody's fault. It's not Australia or Sydney's fault. Uh, you know, I was in one of the busiest uh, hotels in town since uh, we had the Olympics in Sydney. And as you can imagine, it was all about volume, 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 cooking, big batches. And so I came, I came down here, you know, wishing to learn about, you know, indigenous food and this and that. And, mate, we were flipping burgers and, and just keeping up with the numbers. I mean, it was just terrible. And, you know, and we were in a five-star hotel. So I'm like, I, I've lost passion for really, really quickly. Uh, I got my surfing. I met Georgia, my wife, um, uh, which is from Sydney, obviously. And that's it. After one one year of experience, I just packed my bags and left. And my plan was, uh, my wish was after Sydney to either go to New York or Japan, um, just to follow my dreams and whatnot. Um, but as I, we uh, my wife back then, my girlfriend, I said, hey, do you want to, you know, I'm a good boy. So we've only been dating for six months. I would have never expected her to come with me. And But, you know, being polite, I said, mate, I'm going to get the hell out of here in a few months. If you want to come with me, you know, you're more than welcome. Otherwise, yeah, thank you very much. And yeah, Georgia said, yeah, I'm coming. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So we, we actually left uh, moving back to Italy for a couple of weeks just to reset and then uh, pursue either London, uh, sorry, um, Japan or New York. And no, I ended up uh, with a phone call from uh, from uh, London um, because I always kept in touch with the team up there. And they said, hey, we got this sort of, uh, you know, senior position for you here waiting if you want to take it. And uh, luckily, my wife back then, my girlfriend, went along with it. And, and here you go. And there you go. And I just moved back to London for a couple of more years until my wife had enough of the gray sky and the shitty weather. And uh, and she said, mate, listen, uh, yeah, either back to Australia or, or this is not working out. And that's it. Then we came back to Australia and uh, and that was it. But yeah, but mainly, you know, the, the sunshine and the Olympics brought me to Sydney. Um, and then, uh, I don't know, I think, uh, I mean, what's obviously not to like about obviously Australia, right? Especially sunny Sydney. Um, but I think when you're that young, I, you know, you're usually looking for different things in life. Only now I see the level of benefit that I've had by spending so many years in this beautiful country and the opportunities. Because when they happen, they just it just happened. You're living your your day to day life. You're a young kid. You're not really pondering too much about what's next. But uh, looking back, I think I've been uh, definitely at the you know I've been a very hardworking person, uh, definitely with uh, with skills. But uh, I've definitely landed the right things at the right time, and I wasn't in the right place to. Uh, to be able to uh, to take advantage of those, and I guess that's where it led me in uh, in my career where I'm at today. Tell us about the move out of commercial kitchens and into the world um, that you have now, and um, and that transition, and and why you did it. Uh, look, it was. Um uh, at the beginning was a little bit it just kind of happened. Slash was a bit of desperation. My last gig is um, let's say. Chef, uh, I was the head chef uh, at the Westin in Sydney back in, uh, mamma mia, I don't even remember, uh, was it 2005, six something like that? Uh, no, sorry, it would have been leading up to 2007, eight, apologies. Um, when that happened, I was extremely frustrated because I had a team like of 30 plus chefs and, you know, probably 80% were people from other countries just in Australia for visas purposes and the skill levels in the kitchen was dramatically bad dramatically bad so again because i've always been such a believer in my career what i was doing everything had to be top notch and perfect and i was just having so much friction uh between myself and what i was doing i just wasn't happy it wasn't you know the standards were wearing what they were supposed to be uh management didn't really give a shit uh, about my happiness as long as the numbers were there they were happy and yet again i found myself just uh running 12 14 16 hour days between um, you know just plating up on 
the pass and in the office. And once again, I'm like, Luca's not happy. Like, it's not why I worked my ass off for the last, uh, you know, so many years to just to come here and sit in an office. Like, I, I still had a lot of fire in my belly. And, um, yeah, I started sort of looking around, like, what could have been another opportunity? And this job came in my hands, which we're looking for an Italian guy with a serious background from Michelin star to, uh, you know, big establishment, da-da-da-da. And without naming brands, uh, it was the largest uh, pasta producer in the world, which happens to be Italian, obviously. And what they wanted was a chef to launch a cooking school, um, having a bit of a... Um, a sales role, as in taking the products, presenting in front of people, big customers and, and whatnot, and uh, and organizing all outside events, as in catering or cooking demonstration or whatnot. So I just went for the, um, yeah, just went for the interview. It sounded extremely different. Uh, so kind of you can be a chef, but you're not generally, you know, waking up in the morning and just getting in the kitchen. Uh, it, it was a very, very, very surreal, extremely different type of job. And I thought it was going to last probably three weeks because uh, either they I was going to leave or they were going to tell me, mate, like, you just don't have what it takes to, to do this type of, type of job. And little I knew, I, um, you know, I understood marketing very well. I, I quickly understood what a brand is and how you get it out there. And yet again, without naming names, uh, is the largest pasta brand in the world and in Italy. So it was almost like wearing the Italian jersey and working for them. So I was definitely attached to the, to the name, to the brand and whatnot, right? And, you know, year, years in, uh, a couple of years in, and uh, oddly, um, we developed and I was starting doing cooking classes at the at the school that I generally generally drew with a chalk uh, I mean it was so funny I remember day two or day three I sit down with the managing director and he goes all right so what are you gonna do with the cooking school and I'm like what do you mean and he's like well you know the space we got upstairs from the office and I'm like yeah he's like well it's an empty shell so do whatever you want and I say mate I'm a freaking chef I'm not a designer or an architect I say I have no freaking idea kind of long story short yeah, he gave me a, a tape measuring and a choke. And it's like, oh, I don't know, just, you know, start drawing something and see what happens. So then we got a couple of sponsors uh, helping out in, with appliances and whatnot. And of course, they're real people that know how to set things up. They helped me out a lot. And uh, yeah, the cooking school was set up in Sydney, which still exists, is still uh, operating. Um, yeah, and I started having a bit of a taste of what it meant teaching to people, which uh, I found myself, as you can tell by the interview, I can talk for hours, right? So I can only talk, uh, I can talk a lot of crap, but at the same time, I took a real good purpose to really teaching people, you know, kind of, I was very passionate about teaching what I knew. And when I saw people kind of listening and wanting to learn, I'm like, oh shit, I think I, you know, I can do this. It's quite, it's quite exciting. Then, you know, the sales role was more about going out and about and, you know, training, uh, you know, big establishments. So I'll be going to a big hotel with 30, 40 chefs and presenting this new line of pasta, training them, teaching them how to do this, how to do that. And then you'd be on a, uh, that's where the plane uh, headache started, right? I was, I was on a plane across uh, the, you know, the country to present through distributors, um, uh, um, talking to retailers and whatnot. So I'm like, oh, this is pretty freaking amazing. Like I'm basically, I'm still working my ass off, but but it's different. Like I'm, I'm not really, you know, um, banging my heads about the guys not rocking up in the morning in time or not being able to cook properly or the food's getting cold on the past, nobody's picking it up and picking up fight at the FMB meeting every day, that kind of shit. It was... Um, it was a different headache. I mean, I was still picking up five with the management, with the, uh, you know, marketing team and whatnot, because they obviously don't have the understanding. Of, like, they want a chef on board, but they didn't, they, they'll be going like, all right, let's do an event for a thousand people. And I'm like, yeah, great. So that's what we're going to need. Uh, and they're like, yeah, no, we don't have that budget. And I'm like, well, if you're not a thousand people, you need X amount of chefs. Like, I can't freaking cook for a thousand people. So that there were a lot of, obviously, uh, misunderstanding in some areas, because they didn't know what the hell they were talking about in my space. And most of the time, I didn't know what the hell they were talking in their space but the experience was extremely exciting as far as um after year two or year three, I became in charge, not just of Australia, but also uh, in my field for Asia as well. So uh, back in 2010, I've started doing uh, my first trips to Asia. And, you know, we started with Hong Kong and Singapore and then China and then Vietnam and then Taiwan and Hong Kong. And, and that became my regular life, which was uh, jumping on planes on behalf of the company, uh, go travel, train, cooking shows, trade shows, jumping on stage, cooking demonstration, 
in in basically you know uh, five years as a full timer, and then two years as a consultant. I decided to leave that world and pretty much setting up my own consultancy business, which, uh, you know, that's what I'm still doing today, which uh, basically, as I was doing all of these good things for that brand, so many different people that I've met through the journey, they kept asking me, you know, hey, could you do this for us? Would you work with us? And, you know, when the, the number of people became quite serious, I'm like, you know what? I think I got enough to just fly in solo and apply all the great knowledge that I've uh, I've learned in terms of marketing, logistics, and uh, I know so many people in the industry, media. Uh, back then, I was actually a contributor on BBC Good Food magazine as well, so I got a bit of a spot in the limelight, and you know, putting my dishes in magazine, and you know, all of this stuff kind of definitely changed my my way of thinking of what a chef can do with. Um, you know, 20 years under his belt uh, away from the kitchen. And, and I generally did like the the aspects of marketing and, and, and business overall. So that's what definitely got me out of the kitchen permanently uh, until, of course, then I've launched my business, um, the consultancy business. Now we, we do look uh, after several uh, Italian or non-Italian brand giants across Australia and Asia. And then a few years into that new journey, I thought, would be very cool to launch a product range with my name on it. And back then I thought it was just cool just for the sake of profile. And I thought, you know, let's do something really extraordinary that nobody will do because the numbers wouldn't justify it um, because the quality that I use, the you know normal people wouldn't do. Um, and that started seven years ago uh, with four pasta sauces. And now we're into 17 different lines and we sell across Australia and four Asian countries. Um, and the little fun things has turned into a, <laughs> a little mini monster. How, how did you create the pasta sauces? And, you know, is there a difference between making the pasta sauces for retail as you would in the in a restaurant setting? Well, no, the fun part of it, a lot of people don't fully understand. And, and that's the reason why I wanted to give it a crack. So the idea was to create uh, chef quality into a jar, right? And exploiting all the years of experience I've had in that space, thanks to those big uh, giants that I've been looking after. Um, yeah, and do something very unique and different to put put my name on it. But then when we went down to, you know, how to make them, um, you can actually make them 100% natural uh, without adding any crap whatsoever, as long as they're vegetarian, okay? So there's a couple of different ways. We do uh, the hot fill um, situation, which basically means that you're hot filling every single jar above 85 degrees. And as long as everything is vegetarian, all the uh, correct bacteria will be out of the window and they will buy you two year shelf life. Okay, so what makes us uh, um, what makes us different in the sense of what what has allowed me to to be able really to replicate what I do in the kitchen into my manufacturing is because we do super super small batches, so we do only up to 150 kilos per batch which I know sounds like a lot, right? You're like, oh, mamma mia, that's, uh, uh, you know, in a jar of 500 grams, that's 300 jars of pasta sauce, which is a lot. But yeah, in manufacturing terms, it's, it's nothing. Like the, the big players will do anything between three to five tons a pop. So it's kind of, um, I don't like to use the, the word uh, handmade uh, because I don't want people to think or, or imagine that we do them at the back of our garage or anything like that. Um, it's handmade in the sense that uh, a kettle where you can cook up to 150 kilos is actually uh, not bigger than any brat pan that I used uh, in any function room, in any uh, function um, kitchen for big hotels. I mean, I've actually used a way bigger than those doing function for massive hotels and catering and whatnot. So basically, the deal is if you can you replicate exactly what I will cook at home? Yes, 100%. Uh, I mean, we do go in with extra virgin olive oil. We don't bring the temperature too high to retain, you know, most of the organolytic properties and qualities and flavor of the oil I've chosen for the special cook-up. Uh, onions goes in or either being garlic. Uh, you know, we try to cook and build in layer uh, of flavor profile upon each other until then, um, you know, you go in with the last, uh, let's say, key ingredient out of most of my range being tomatoes. 
needless to say, you got to buy the best quality tomato, but also you need to cook the sauce as you would do at home, right? Because um, a lot of what, what I've learned over my journey that the big manufacturer will bring it up to 85 and start bottling. So as soon as it hits 85, you bottle it up. And then in that stage, uh, also they call it uh, one dump, which means that all the ingredients go into a massive, massive, massive pot. As soon as it reaches the right temperature, they start bottling. So you can actually have at 100% natural and let's say even good quality ingredients into uh, into the cook-up, but you, you're not really cooking the sauce. It's just a, a bloody put everything in it and when it's ready, let's put it in the jars. Whether what we do, uh, you know, we do allow for reduction time and we worked out on 150 kilos, you know, how long the, the, the tomatoes got to cook and reduce down. You want to lose the level of water and moisture in the tomato and trying to retain, you know, the best part of, uh, of the flavor of a tomato. And um, and then the, actually you, you, you being a foodie yourself and, and a connoisseur, you, you'll understand what, I, what I'm going with this as well. Fun enough, um, you know, when you put things in a jar, I think everybody has always had that kind of funny uh, understanding or, or perception of, oh, it's in a jar, right? Like it can't be good. The reason why is because everything, nine out of 10 of what's out there in a jar, it is full of shit. It's true. And uh, all of us have tried it. And it is shit because they will put citric acid to counterbalance uh, the pH level because the pH is going to be below 4.5. Otherwise, the jar will explode. And how do you do that? And the reason why it's high is because there's probably those batches that stretch with water or the tomato are using is very bad. So there's a lot of uh, water in it. You need to bring it back down. And normally, citric acid is using uh, is used, which is a you know, derivative of lemon. So technically, it's still natural. But you get that very funny aftertaste, like there's something that doesn't belong in there. And that's what I've learned over the years that you can manufacture exactly as you will do it. Um, there's only a small price to pay, which is uh, a lot of extra dollars <laughs> to pay per jar. Because, you know, if you want to make them the way we do, um, and I don't, look, I don't even claim that they taste so good because I'm the man or because I'm such a great fucking chef. It's it's because we do what Mother Nature technically uh, told me what to do. Actually, not Mother Nature, my mother told me what to do in the kitchen or any chef that told me to do it. And we stick to it. And, and that's why uh, the quality is there. And, and the last fun fact, um, I'll give you an example. We got amongst the flavors, we got caramelized onions and fresh thyme, uh, with, uh, tomato sauce, right? Now, if I make this for you tonight for dinner, you come over, I'll cook exactly the same thing I do in the jar. It won't taste as good as the one in the jar. You know why, Anthony? Because it, it matures extremely well into a glass jar. If I leave that jar sitting there for six months, just picture that in your head, how well that beautiful thyme, fresh thyme, uh, which by the way, we handpicked on the day, um, just you know, creates a lovely marriage with a slow caramelization of the onions and it's tomato sitting through it. It just tastes freaking twice as good. Because at the real beginning, we test those old jars and I'm like, holy crap, this tastes freaking better now six months in than when we actually made it and that's the reality so there's actually advantages that you can even take out of cooking something and put them into a jar right so anyway then the story goes very long but yeah we we we, we try i try to put in the jar something for you to go all right i know how to cook but if i don't have time and i really want something special and unique to have in the pantry last minute boom i'm gonna get lucas uh, lucas stuff these days, you also have your television show. Um, what's that been like doing that? The TV show, it's been fun, uh, stressful, uh, fun, stress, stressful, fun, stressful. It's, uh, <laughs> it's the two going along with each other. It begins with fun and excitement and then the reality of shooting morning until night uh, and trying to deliver, uh, you know, every single aspect of it as in trying to keep it fun, engaging, interesting for viewers. Uh, it's no joke. Yeah, it's not, um, it's not as easy as people probably just watch yeah, you know, one of my episodes, like, oh, that was fun. It's uh, there's probably a lot of preparation going into it in terms of which recipe and why. And uh, I, I never really found the problem of um, you know the camera and performing or delivering, because uh, as you know, I mean, I really enjoy that that part of um, uh, of you know of, of what I do in these days. But um, I think the the part that stressed me the most, it, actually, it's literally right now. It's a great question, Anthony, because uh, we're shooting in uh, at the end of this month, season three, which is gonna air next year and i'm still in the process 
process of making sure that every single recipe across uh, all the episodes, there is a bit of a sense throughout. You don't want to have too many entree, too many dessert, too many pastas. So it's a bit of a something that has to flow because I, I see the full picture. Viewers might watch one or two episodes, right? And that's it. But for me, as a professional, it's extremely important that there is a balance in case, oddly, well, in case, I'm hoping that there are people that watch from the first to the last episode, right? Um, so it's, um, it's a very intense process. It gets all done and dusted very quickly. People think that we film, uh, you know, for a lifetime. It's actually all done and dusted in one week, uh, which for me, it's probably the, the busiest week of the year because, uh, you know, I really need to go to bed nice and early, get my beauty sleep, wake up extremely energetic and give everything I've got, you know, because, uh, you know, it, it is your TV show. It, they are your recipes, so you want to make sure it shines. But it, it's fantastic. I'm, I, again, pinching myself every morning about, you know, how lucky I feel that I get to do everything I do. I'm extremely proud that uh, I've, I've been given the opportunities to do it, and extremely proud that you know they brought us as far as um, season three for next year. So I can't, can't wait for everybody to watch what's uh, what's on offer this time. Well, uh, you've carved out an amazing career in Australia. What do you love about what you do? I think the um, the versatility of everything I do, Anthony. Um, one day. You know, I might be with my manufacturer making sure that the cook-up is right. Uh, the day after you jump in on a plane, um, you know, going down to Melbourne to fil- film your TV show. Uh, actually, oh, look, I'll just give you my uh, Friday. I'm off to Melbourne. I got a cook-up this Saturday for one of my cookware sponsors. Flying back to Sydney Sunday. And Monday, I'm off to South Australia for a presentation for another um, uh, brand. And then I'm flying back to Sydney at night. And the following day back to Canberra for Italian it's Italian food cuisine in the world so we're doing another big presentation at dinner for 100 people so I, I don't know I mean it keeps it extremely um yeah, I mean, you get excited about one gig and then uh, you start getting excited about the other one. Of course, there's headaches in between, right? Because while I'm on a plane, I'm like, oh my God, have I, you know, have I given the right ingredient list? Have, am I going to have all the tools when I land and do the have all the ingredients? You know, it comes with, uh, again, people just see me posting the picture at the end of the event, right? There's, of course, a lot of prep uh, in every single event. But I, I generally think that the everyday something different is what keeps me smiling, exciting, uh, honest, on my toes. I never take it for granted. I always believe that I'm only as good as the last dish you cook, right? So, you, you know, you really got to, um, it keeps me on check because I really got to, it doesn't matter if it's a demo for 30 people, uh, I'm still cooking for them. It's, it better be bloody good, right? It doesn't matter what you do or what your resume says. So it keeps me grounded, uh, keeps me keeps me on point all the time. And I think until um, it's a thin line between the fun and the headache, I'm going to keep doing this for a little longer. <laughs> well, uh, Luca, it's an amazing to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear part of your story. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure and I uh, hope everybody enjoyed all my little headache story. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Luca. Thank you, guys. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.